concerning your Bibles with me to Jonah chapter 3. And before we before we read the text, let's uh, let's pray one more time. Our heavenly Father, we uh, have seen your glory and your power. Uh, we have confessed our sins before you. We have um, heard of your mercy and your forgiveness. We've confessed to those things, and now we ask that you would. Uh, Give us the grace to instruct us and to teach us through your word. Uh, We ask that you would humble us. We ask that um, that your word would would speak now uh, and that you would soften us to receive it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast Herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Amen. Uh, well, we're, we're starting over in the book of Jonah, or at least that's the way it appears when we start reading Jonah 3. Uh, it's meant to look like we're starting over. It's kind of like one of those um, recordings or those tapes uh, sometimes you see where where you get trained in how to do something, and, and they play out all this scenario and the way somebody fails, and then it pauses, and we say, now let's see what we could have done differently, and it rewinds, and it goes all the way back to the beginning. Uh, that's kind of what happens when we come to Jonah 3. We see, both in chapter 1 and chapter 3, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. Uh, Jonah arises and goes somewhere. Uh, he has this interaction with a pagan people, Uh, The pagan people believe, and we see Jonah's uh, sort of response to what happens in both chapters. Uh, This is then a chapter of fresh starts. It's a chapter of new beginnings. 
And so if in, uh, if in chapter 1, what we had asked was, uh, whom do you fear? How do you know whom you fear? In chapter 3, then, as a, as a repeat, as a playback, we might ask, okay, so what happens when we do fear the Lord? What happens when we turn to this God and obey Him? And it shows us, in a sense, really what God is, is capable of doing. Uh, not, in the, not in the sense of um, hurling great storms down from heaven, uh, not in the sense of directing the path of a, a massive fish to swallow uh, a person, uh, but, but what God is capable of doing in the human heart, what he's able to do there. He is a God of great power. He is a God of great hope. Uh, in, in many ways, this chapter is, is very much, it's very much an encouragement for those who just feel a little bit stuck, uh, who feel frustrated. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not where I want to be as a Christian. Uh, I haven't grown as much as I've thought. Right? I, I just can't seem to reach my family. My family just doesn't seem to understand the gospel. I, I can't get it across to them. I've tried over and over again. Why isn't this working? God is capable of doing anything. That's what he shows us in, in Jonah chapter 3, both in terms of his, his power and in terms of his goodness, in terms of his desire. Uh, and really, as we, as we work our way through this chapter, there are, there are three changes, three, three turns throughout this chapter that show us God's power, God's hope, God's capability for change. The first one is in Jonah, is, is Jonah. Jonah is turned from a, a runner to a preacher. Uh, and now I said three turns, three changes. This is really kind of, you know, Jonah's already started his turn in chapter two, right? We, we talked last time in Jonah about his repentance, how he turned back to God. Uh, and this is sort of just a continuation of it. Uh, Jonah is right back where he started, uh, literally, geographically, uh, but also figuratively, right? God gives his, his charge all over again, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it. Uh, same exact thing, except there's a, a little tweak in the, the text, in the verses, some differences between the first call and the second call. In chapter 1, God had said, call out against Nineveh, for their evil has come up before me. In chapter 3, God says, call out against it, the message that I tell you. And, of course, one of the, the huge differences is, is Jonah at the first arose and went in the opposite direction. Now Jonah arises and goes to Nineveh. All of this is trying to show us, this, this, all of this rewording is, is really focusing now not so much on Nineveh's evil. It's focusing on the fact that Jonah needs to obey this time. He needs to listen to the call. 
And so we, we, we kind of saw what, what repentance looks like for Jonah in chapter 2, right? This, this mourning over sin, his, his grief over his sin, seeing the danger he's in. Uh, but this first part of chapter 3 shows us another important aspect of that repentance, which is after that full turn, now actually moving forward in the new direction, actually moving forward and and obeying God when he calls again. Uh, You can imagine what Jonah, uh, how he might have been feeling, what what he might have said in chapter 3 when when God comes comes to him again. The sort of guilt or the regret that he might have felt because of his failure the first time around. Um, I'm, I'm such a great sinner. I, I ran so far away from God. How, how can I be fit to be the one to do this? Surely, God, there's someone else that you can use. I, I, I've run so far. I can't, I can't make this, this change. I can't be the one who goes to do this. Um, who am I, God, that you would use me? It's, it's easy for us when, when God comes calling uh, again to, to look back on our sin and, and feel that same sort of regret and guilt. You know, I, well, I really should have said something to my neighbor there. I, sh- I should have said something to my, uh, my sister or my brother about Christ. That was my opportunity, and I blew it. Who am I to really be the one to share anyway next time it comes around? Uh, I'm such a great sinner. You have no idea what's in my past. Why, why am I the one? How can I really expect uh, to obey God or to, to fulfill what he's, he's calling me to do? Uh, but really, just as, um, as Pastor Mark just prayed, so often when we fail God and sin against him, what he's going to end up doing is coming back to that same thing over and over again, right? So you may have failed him in one way. Probably he's going to come back and ask you to be obedient in that same area. That, that's a great, uh, massive part of repentance is where we once failed and God calls us again to obey him afresh, to obey him the second time around. God does call us again, over and over again. And we can't let uh, those sins of our past and that, that guilt and that regret dog us and cling to us and make us feel like it's impossible to obey or to listen or to be worthy. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, um, just a great, a great message in Philippians 3. Now, I've not, he says, I've not obtained the resurrection of Christ yet. I am not already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Again, not that I have made it my own already, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call uh, of God in Christ Jesus. Despite the sin and the failure we may have felt 
uh, we may have committed in the past, he tells us to, to put that off. If Christ has forgiven you, put that off. Do not let that dog you anymore. Do not let that drag you down and pull you back. He calls you another time to be faithful and to obey today. It doesn't matter what you did a year ago, a week ago, an hour ago. He calls you to be faithful right now, to make that choice right now. And really, that's, that's, not, <laughs> that's not good news unless we understand God's grace in our lives. Right? So we saw last time in Jonah that God's grace and mercy were persistent. They kept chasing Jonah down until they drew him back. And now in Jonah 3, we, we really see that God's grace is fresh every day. And this is why we cling to that promise from, from Lamentations 3, right, that your mercies are new every morning because we're all going to backslide constantly, aren't we? Don't we all fail in sin over and over again? Uh, don't we slip away from God so many times? And don't we need to cling to that promise that, yes, you failed then, but today God is calling you again in his mercy. He's forgiving you again. He's, he's gripping your heart again. He's showing you again how amazing his grace and his gospel is, and he is again compelling you to follow him. Uh, just because we may have turned away from God at one point, just because we may have uh, run hard and run, run fast in the opposite direction, just because we may have felt his chastisement, it doesn't mean that he's done working on you. It doesn't mean that he's done working in you. God's grace is fresh to forgive, and it's fresh to equip. It's fresh every day to, uh, to change you from what you once were to what you should be. Right? Paul, um, uh, uh, Paul says many times by... Uh, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Uh, it's only ever God's work in us that can truly change us. So how does a, how does a, a self-centered, audacious, hateful backslider become a preacher? Quite simply, it's God. It's God's fresh grace. And God keeps calling graciously for us to turn and to be faithful today, to start making those choices again today, to obey and to pursue him again. Jonah is turned from a, a runner to a preacher. And secondly, uh, Nineveh makes a great turn. They are turned from violence to prayer. And now for, for all of the buildup so far of, of Jonah getting to Nineveh, two and a half chapters of it, right? Jonah, try, God trying to get Jonah to get to this city. His ministry in the city is actually super short, isn't it? 
I mean, there's, a, there's that one verse of it in chapter 4. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Uh, done with Jonah. Move on to Nineveh. Uh, and Nineveh was a, was a great city. Uh, your text in verse 3 says it was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. And I, I, I don't take that to mean, you know, walking your straight beeline across the city. It would take you three days to walk it. It uh, could mean something like as, as he tries to make his way through all of the parts in the cities, uh, uh, parts and regions, the streets and neighborhoods, that would take him three days. It uh, could mean something like Nineveh proper as well as all of its suburbs. Uh, regardless, though, it, it is a massive city. It would take Jonah a long time to get his message across to all the people. And day one, Nineveh repents. It's, uh, frankly, a preacher's dream, right? Jonah's just getting warmed up. He, you know, he's not even out of his introduction, and people are falling over and praising God and coming up for the altar call and saying, I give my life to Jesus. Uh, man, that would be awesome. It's a preacher's dream. Nineveh's great change and Nineveh's turn. Uh, let's look more closely at this change that, that Nineveh goes through. Verse 5 is where it starts. The people of Nineveh believed God. As, as simple as that phrase is, it is crucially important. Uh, they did not believe Jonah. They believed God. They did not hear Jonah speaking himself. They heard the power of God preaching through him. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth. They, they, they mourned and they grieved over their sin. Right? The, the fasting, the sackcloth, the ashes that the king sits in, all a great sign of, of mourning and sadness, all because of their sin. Their, their eyes had been opened to their evil. They were convinced of their own spiritual danger. Uh, and then, verse 8, as the king decrees, let them call out mightily to God, let them, let them pray to God. Um, and let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. They don't just say, wow, what evil we've done, but they, they actually commit to reforming. They, they commit to turning away from it and doing good. It's, it's frankly a lot like Zacchaeus. When Jesus goes in and, and talks to Zacchaeus in his house, whatever he went on to say, I wish I could be in that conversation, you know, it, it would be one thing for Zacchaeus to come out and say, I've been a great sinner. Please, everybody, forgive me. Um, I've done great evil. And it's another thing for him to say, I give away half my possessions, and I repay everybody that I've wronged fourfold. You can see him now not just turning away from his sin of, of greediness and selfishness and, and coveting, but also making the transition to generosity and, and giving away, not letting money rule his life anymore, actually ridding himself 
of that idol. Uh, and, and all of these things, all of this repentance coming from a nation like Nineveh, a nation that would brag about their own brutality and their own violence. Just, just as I was looking into to Nineveh and Assyria again this week, I came across an article that said, that called them the terrorists of the ancient world. They would, I mean, I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, they would, they would hang the corpses of their enemies on stakes and set them out in front of the city. They would cut off hands or arms or, or legs or noses or ears and, and just uh, brutalize their enemies, even behead people and hang them on trees. I mean, these, this, these people were the, the lowest of the low, right? Not, not that much different from Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah. This, this paragon of wickedness, this paragon of depravity. And here they are the very next week walking into church and singing and praying and, and maybe even lifting their hands. It, it's incredible. And, and if that doesn't give you hope for somebody like your next-door neighbor or your sibling or the, or, or the Paulisons in Peru, or the, the Conrads doing their work in, in Europe, or Zambia, or Iraq, or North Korea, or any other closed country, then, then I don't know where you're going to get your hope from. Because this is an incredible work of God. There's a reason that Paul says that the gospel of God, the, the um, he is unashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. It's different than a, a math teacher getting up and giving a lecture. It is different than a basketball coach trying to teach you proper form. The, those people, they, they can't actually instill the truths in your brain. They, they cannot make you do the right thing. They don't actually have the power to get you to understand it and to do it. The gospel does. The Holy Spirit is in the preached gospel. The Holy Spirit is working when the word is spoken. And so just thinking, even as you go out and preach this gospel and witness and evangelize, it doesn't take... It doesn't take a sermon. It doesn't take a, a fanciful argument. It doesn't take addressing all of the, the politics um, around us. It just takes the, the simple, direct, clear message of Jesus. And God works in that. The Holy Spirit works when His gospel is preached. And so we, we can ask the question like Nineveh did, who knows? But in a very, very hopeful sense, right? Who knows what God might do? 
If all we do, do is, is go out and preach the gospel, who knows what the Holy Spirit can do with that? If we're faithful to just go and speak, God can do anything. Um, this is, for Nineveh, by, by no means is this, uh, you know, a fully matured faith. Uh, not even necessarily maybe a strong faith. Uh, it's, it's not going to be a, a lasting faith because within a couple of generations, we see Nineveh is going to be right back to their old ways. And yet we see that, that it is really faith. And so again, look at verse 9. And what they confess here, after, after they decree all of these things to do, they say in verse 9, Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his, his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Really, aren't they just confessing the same thing that the sailors did on the boat? If we cry out to God, he may save our lives. And isn't this the same as what Jonah confessed in the belly of the fish? At the end of chapter 2, at verse 9, salvation belongs to the Lord. Right? Even these Ninevites know as much as we might do, as, as, as much sackcloth as we put on, as many ashes as we throw on our head, as sincere as our repentance might be, we know that that is not going to save us. We know that that's not what takes us from death to life. It, it, it's God and His mercy that they need to fall back on. God is the one who is, is free and sovereign to do as He pleases. In another very real sense, in verse 9, when they say, who knows, um, it's, it's, it's also a, a who knows of humility, right? And in some sense, Nineveh doesn't know what's going to happen. Jonah doesn't know what's going to happen. We're going to see that in the next chapter. Jonah doesn't know what's going to happen with Nineveh. And at the same time, we, are, we can be utterly certain that God is hearing this cry for mercy and going to save these people. Because as, as he tells us in Psalm 28, Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. Or in John 6, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Or in 1 John 1, if, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This, uh, this in a sense, is God's turn. God's change. It, even God's repentance, in a sense. Not that he's turning from something wicked to good, but just that he is changing. He is turning from anger and, and destruction and disaster and justice to compassion and pity and mercy. He relents. 
when we confess our sins and repent, again, we are not falling back on our own faith to save us. We're not falling back on our own repentance. We're not falling back even on how sincere we feel about it. We are are clinging to and we are resting on God's own character. God's own nature that he has told us is a forgiving one and a merciful one. And that's what gives us all the hope as we confess our sins. We rest on over and over again, whether we're, we're Nineveh or whether we are the, the backsliding Jonah, we're always going back to over and over what God has told us about himself, that he is forgiving and gracious and merciful. And so even as, as, uh, as unconditional and, and as hard and fast as the message of Jonah sounds to Nineveh, you will be overthrown there, there's, there's always a conditional attached to that. That if you do repent, he will not pour out his justice upon you, but he will forgive and he will show mercy. We're assured of that. That's why we, that's why in the middle of our service we confess our sins. And that's why in the the longer form of our service, we have that assurance of pardon because we're guaranteed that he hears our cries and we're guaranteed that he gives us fresh grace. Uh, but, but, But as Jonah has to learn, God's turn from justice to mercy is only conditional upon that repentance and faith. It is not conditional, as we'll learn especially in Jonah 4, upon nationality. It's not conditional upon race. It's not conditional upon ethnicity. It's not conditional upon gender. It's not conditional upon blue collar or white collar. It's not conditional upon your social status. It is simply conditional upon putting your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Just as Israel's repentance is supposed to lead to blessing for them, so is Nineveh's. And that's something Jonah himself has to wrestle with, that God doesn't just dominate and destroy enemies. He forgives them. God's gracious warnings and God's promises of his blessing go out to all people. And we see that in Zacchaeus as well. If, if you notice, Jesus says, come down, Zacchaeus, because I must come into your house today. Uh, and that's intentional. Luke uses that word must a lot in his gospel. Jesus must do this. This must come about. And that's because Zacchaeus is a, a tax collector. He is a, a wicked man. He is somebody who's defrauded the Jews many, many times. He's defrauded God's people. He's considered an, an outsider and, and vile and an outcast uh, and somebody not to even eat a meal with. God must go to this man 
and to show him mercy and to forgive him. Because he must show that God's gospel is going out to the the weakest, the vilest, the poorest of all people. It is going out to the nations. Even, let me me point you back up to verse 3 one more time. Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Um, I have a footnote there that says, or a great city to God. Uh, now, now that phrase, a great city to God, you could take that as a euphemism to say this, this city is, 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 is great, great. Um, it is, it's, it's God-like, the greatest of the greats. Or you can read it as, this was a great city that belonged to God. This was an important city to God. This was a significant city to God. Why does God really go and forgive Nineveh and and preach to them in the first place? Because he loved this city, and it belonged to him. It was his. It was his city. And he wanted to save those people from wrath. Aren't you glad you serve a God like that? Aren't you glad that you serve a God who goes out to the rebels and the, the heathens and the pagans and the deep, dark sinners and shows them grace? So that is each one of us. One of the, uh, the words that, that skeptics will use to describe Jonah 3 is unrealistic. Um, even more unrealistic than a fish swallowing someone. How could a wicked city like this just turn to God overnight? Um... There is nothing unrealistic with God. There is nothing impossible with God. Ask every single missionary that's gone out to the mission field throughout history. Ask uh, John Patton, who we heard a story about a, um, in one of Pastor Lawrence's sermon, cannibals surrounding his house, waiting to kill him and eat him. And that people's been converted to God. Or you think of Hudson Taylor who went to China in the middle of a civil war, in the middle of an an, an utterly unreached country, and now the the gospel is just running rampant there over the last hundred years. Or Jim Elliott who went to Ecuador and was, was speared in the chest as soon as he hit the ground. And now that people group is is something like forty percent Christian. What would the missionaries who came after Jim Elliot think? What would the Jews have thought in the times, or that the Christians in the time of the Apostle Paul, who was dragging people out of houses and putting them to death? 
And when we really get a true sense of ourselves and our own sin, how unrealistic do any of these things seem that, that we could possibly be turned into worship God? And yet God does it. And so we must beware of thinking too little of God's zeal. Thinking too little of God's power or his grace or his goodness, even thinking too little of God's desire to save, his, his zeal to bring his saving message to the nations, really even his own desire for his glory to be known. Beware thinking too little of that. He, he is committed to doing those things. And so, so really, it's not actually even a question of what God is capable of doing. It's a question of what he is doing. He is bringing the gospel to bear on sinners' hearts and lives. Whether that's the backslider to bring them back or whether that is the, the, the wickedest of nations that we could think of to turn and to worship him. He, he, is, he is committed to this worldwide kingdom and bringing people to salvation. That's his relentless plan for the nations. And that's what he's doing in each one of our hearts as well. So do you see that plan? Are you committed to that plan? Are you going to join that plan? Amen. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we, we praise you and we thank you again for your grace and your mercy towards us. That you redeem even the greatest sinners. That you send your gospel out. You do not withhold it from us. Uh, you do not uh, withhold it from the world. We thank you that you are a gracious God, a forgiving God, who, who is willing to turn away from his wrath and anger. We pray, O oh God, that you would, you would give us hope. Uh, give us hope in your power and your commitment uh, to bring change, uh, both in our lives and in the lives of, of anyone across the world. Give us hope in your gospel. Hope ultimately, really, in your spirit and what you're doing. Help us to believe that uh, and to live like it. We ask it in Jesus' name.